Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the gathering today. Remember, we have our brand new app out on the App Store and Google Play. Go review it, go download it. It makes the world of a difference. But now, without further ado, turn up your earphones, crank up those speakers, grab your Bible, and get ready for a word from Grant Reynolds. Tonight, we're going to do something. We're going to go into this story of Silent Night because I think Silent Night is probably one of the most interesting songs that we can ever listen to around Christmas. Why? Because we all know the lyrics. Right? How many times have you sung Silent Night in your life? Too many to count. There's probably not a lot of songs that you've sung nearly as much as Silent Night because it's so iconic. When you think of Christmas, there's a few songs you think of. One of those is Silent Night. You think of just like, in my brain, I see this kid sitting there. For some reason, he's got like a hood on. I don't know why. And he has a candle. He's like, Silent Night. I don't know why. But that's what I see when I think of this song. I have never seen that in real life. It's never been an actual thing. I just have this picture of this little orphan singing with a candle. And so Silent Night was actually started because there was a priest in Austria who wanted a new song to sing on Christmas Eve. And so he reaches out to this musician, Franz Grupper. That's an awesome name. If you, what, if you, what if your name was Franz This man's name is Franz, and so the priest finds him. He's in Austria. He reaches out to him, and he says, listen, I need a new song to sing at Christmas Eve because everything we've been singing is boring, and we've sang it a million times over, so we need to sing a new song. The only problem is I don't have an organ. Okay, at this time, everything was done intricately in an, on an organ. I mean, it was intense, beautiful music, Right? But they don't have an organ. And so he says, listen, I need a song that we can do without an organ. So Franz is like, okay, I think I've got something. So he grabs his guitar. He has to write something so simple that it can be played on a guitar. Because you cannot play an organ song on guitar. It sounds really strange. And so he gets him and he brings him out and he says, all right, here it is. And so Franz sits down and he takes his guitar and he writes those words, oh, holy silent night. All is calm. All is bright. Since then, it has become one of the top 30 best-selling songs. This little song written on a guitar because they couldn't afford an organ is now memorized by so many people in the world. My personal favorite is Bing Crosby. That's my man. White Christmas. Anybody else? Come on. My man Bing Crosby sings probably one of the best versions of Silent Night, but it doesn't stop there. My second favorite is Elvis. You have not lived until you've heard Elvis sing gospel music in Silent Night. I promise you that. Go on Spotify on your way home. You will not be disappointed. But Elvis singing Silent Night will make your soul cry. It's a beautiful experience. Not only them, I mean, I've seen Boys to Men, Andre Bocelli, Josh Groban, Martina McBride, Mariah Carey kind of sang it. 
There's a lot of people that have either tried or succeeded in singing this song. And now millions of people worldwide, if you have a favorite artist, they've probably done this song. It's probably a thing. You can find it somewhere. But I think it's hilarious because when Franz wrote this song, I don't understand where he got the lyrics from. Like he sings, all is calm, all is bright. And I'm not really entirely sure where he got this because it was a manger in a cave or a stable with donkeys, with cows, Manure, this is not like the Ritz-Carlton experience. This is probably the worst possible way to give birth to a child. And you back it up, and not just in this one moment, you, but you back that sucker up for a while. And you've got Mary, who in the midst of it's supposed to be calm as a teenager, and the Lord comes to her and says, My child, you are now with child. And it's like, what? But I didn't. I know. Okay. And it's like this super awkward thing because guess what? That's not okay. She was going to get stoned. Throw into the mix that she's engaged. My man Joseph was like on a reality TV show before there was reality TV shows. His girl comes up to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant, but I didn't sleep with a dude. I promise it was the Holy Spirit. Who the heck is the Holy Spirit? They didn't have the Bible to read. They haven't gone back and realized there is a trinity and there's a father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. She's just saying, listen, the angel of the Lord came to me and said, the spirit of God has impregnated me with a child. And I, you just got to believe me that I didn't sleep with somebody. He's like, psych. He's like, no, we're done. It's over. I'm just going to end this thing quietly and take a step back for your safety, for my safety, so I can actually have a nice life and not be ruined by this person. And then next thing you know, an angel comes to Joseph. is like, Joseph, the heck? It's true. What? It's true. And so now he's like, okay, well, I guess I got to stick with this girl. I guess we're together. Okay, so the Holy Spirit did somehow manage to impregnate her. It's an immaculate conception. Not really sure how this is happening, but hey, we're going to go with it, and we're going to give it a shot. I think he was probably the first father in history that could look at the child and say, this really isn't mine, and be able to just move on, but still want the kid. It's the most interesting thing. And so they move on, and then taxes come, right? So they want to do a census, and so they're raising taxes. Octavian is raising taxes. That's why they have to do a census, and so... My man Joseph takes his teenage woman with child that nobody really believes her about, puts her on a donkey, and trapes her through the desert for 90 miles. That is a three-day journey. Ladies, I don't know about you, but personally, I would not want to be on a donkey for 90 miles in three days, let alone carrying a baby that sounds like the worst experience ever not only are you jiggling about but you got a bowling ball in your gut bouncing up and down I would be so mad at Joseph I'd be like listen I told you this so we could have like some luxury here not to bring me through the desert at that point I would have just wanted Joseph to leave me alone 
But he brings her through this whole situation and, and takes it. And then guess what? The inn is full. We know the story. And so he's like, well, this is a crapshoot. So let me just find somewhere. And they find a stable maybe or a cave. We're not really sure. And puts them in there. And, he, and somehow out of all of that, Franz writes, all is calm. All is bright. All is I don't know where you're at in your 90-mile journey from point A to point B where you feel like you're carrying something that you can't get rid of, that God's given you. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's an aspiration. Maybe it's something that God spoke to you about, and you're on this journey for 90 miles in three days. Maybe you just started it, or you're coming off of it, and you thought, God, when I got off of this journey, I was supposed to be in a calmer place with you, but here I am in a stable. You brought me to a stable, but you're still good. But you're still good. All is calm. This certainly was not calm. All is calm. All is bright. The next line should have been, yeah, right, because it wasn't. This was nothing like the reality of the situation that Mary and Joseph found themselves in. I could be a rapper. I see you laughing at me. I could be a rapper. I tried once. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. There's still evidence hanging out in the interwebs. My girl had an immaculate conception, but it sure as heck wasn't an immaculate delivery. She had to deliver the baby like anybody else without an epidural. Now, y'all don't know about this because y'all haven't had kids yet. But I heard my mom tell me stories about me. And it was too late to have an epidural. But she had it with the other two, and they were super easy. Me, on the other hand, I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to, like, hang out in there. But they pulled me out anyway. So imagine all of that pain. She always brings it up that she went to the brink of death for me. Uh, imagine that in a stable. My dude, <laughs> what's up, man? Where are you going? Okay. There you go. Loud. It's calm, supposedly. And so it's hard to look at this story because we ask, where is the calm in the chaos of Christmas? Where is the calm in the midst of Nordstrom sales? Where is the calm in the midst of all of the Hallmark? I love Hallmark movies, right? The only problem with a good Hallmark Christmas movie is that they make Christmas look like something it's not, and we all try to have our own little perfect Christmas time like a Hallmark movie, and that's just not the reality of the situation. Christmas is chaotic. Still trying to figure out how the heck am I going to pay for presents? What am I going to do? Going to Christmas parties. Watching Christmas everything. By the end, by, you get into January and you're done. Christmas is over. It's the greatest time of the year until January. And then you hate it. And so we sit here and we ask, where is the calm and the chaos of Christmas? Because this Christmas story was not calm. On the outside, externally, everything that was going on was not calm. Why was it not calm? Because the stable is a picture and an imagery of your life. 
And there was a reason why God decided to do it the way he did it. Because he knew that one day you're going to be going through something where everything else surrounds you, all of the external things in your life can be sitting there and saying, nothing is good. This is chaotic. Where is peace? Why don't you, why don't you believe in God? God is doing something, but he's not doing it with you. He left you behind because you made too many mistakes. And you're sitting there and you have all of these external voices going on in your head. And there's a reason why. God decided to do the birth of Jesus the way he did. So that you can read this story and realize that in the midst of chaos, you can have peace. In the midst of the chaos, you can choose to say, it is calm. There is peace in my life. It may not look like it right now. I may have gotten the the wrong report from the doctor. Somebody may have told me something my entire life that I've been holding on to that's been eating me away and my self-esteem is gone. But guess what? I can look in that situation and say all is calm, not because of me, but because the Prince of Peace was born into the chaos of our world and said, I want to walk with you through your life in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the chaos and say, I am still God. In the midst of it all. He is the prince of peace to your chaos. He came not as a king coming in on a stallion. He didn't come in with frankincense and myrrh. That happened three years later. Nativity's wrong. It was dung and urine and a woman screaming for her life as a baby is coming out. Joseph wondering, what the heck have I done? And here we are, the birth of Jesus. Oh, silent night. Even when you feel alone and nobody else is around you, and you've done everything you can, and it's only you and the dream that God has put in your heart and the thing that you're carrying, and you're sitting in a stable by yourself, surrounded by dung and urine of everything else going around you, of the situation that you find yourself in. Everybody's moved past you. Everybody's let you go, turned their back on you. You can still sit there and say, it is a silent night, and it is calm because the Prince of Peace is here. All is calm. All is bright. I think Hallmark has messed us up. Look at this picture of the nativity. It's so pretty. It's bright. And like all of the animals are posed perfectly looking at baby Jesus, who's blonde hair and blue eyed. That makes no sense. But they're looking at this, and, and we have these angels flying, and a dove, and look at the horse. Look at the horse. He's like bending down, bowing before the Lord. That was not happening. It was dingy. It was not bright. There was not this, this giant glow happening where the Joseph and, and Mary had this ring, this halo around their heads. That's not quite how it went. There was sweat trickling down her brow, and her face was red from screaming. It wasn't bright at all. It was dingy 
and dark. Why? Because it's the continuation of the imagery of our lives. Jesus came not only into the chaos, but into the darkness of whatever you might find yourself in. Jesus was born into the darkness of a few things in this story. Jesus was born into the darkness of Joseph's shame. Joseph had it all figured out. He got himself a good girl. He had a trade. He was a carpenter. They were going to be okay. They had a pretty good life figured out until Mary decided to be immaculately pregnated. Now here he is. Like, what the heck am I supposed to do? My entire life is ruined. Everybody thinks that I'm staying with somebody that's been unfaithful to me. And the shame and the weight of that would have been crushing. Yet Jesus came in into the darkness of Joseph's shame. Because he enters into the shame, the darkness of whatever shame that you have in your life. Whatever failure that you had that nobody else knows about and it's just you that you hold on to and hide. Jesus wants to enter into that with you. Whatever sickness that has been penetrating your body and at this point that you can barely even understand what's going to happen next. Guess what? Jesus wants to enter into that darkness with you. Whatever thing secret that you hold on to that you think if anybody else knew it, nobody would want to walk with me through life. Jesus wants to enter into that darkness with you. Why? Because Jesus was born into Joseph's shame. Willingly by God. Decided this is how we're going to do this. Just to show you how much he loves you. But he didn't just enter into the darkness of Joseph's shame. He entered into Herod's jealousy. Herod was not even king. I mean, technically he's king, but he was really just a puppet. Rome would say things and then his armies would have to go and follow suit, whatever they said. And so Herod wanted to be king and he desired to be king. And so he hears this story of a king coming and the wise men, they're saying, there's this king being read, the king of the Jews. He says, well, tell me where the king is so that I may go and worship him too. Which we know that's not really what he wanted to do. And so there's this aspect of Herod's jealousy that Jesus is born into the darkness that is created by it. I mean, they had to run to Egypt and hide. Jesus is not afraid of the jealousy that's in your heart. He's not afraid of the sin that's in your heart. He's not afraid of the thing that is in your heart that is disgusting and ugly. Why? Because we are more wicked than we dare admit, but more loved than we could hope or imagine at the same exact time. And so in the midst of Herod's jealousy, Jesus comes in and brings something new, grace and mercy. And so what you're holding on to, what is going on in your life, what you're facing, where you may not feel adequate, 
And so you think you have to grab a hold of whatever somebody else has so that way you can just somehow manage to get to the top so you can be somebody. Jesus is saying, let's cut that cycle off. And I want to enter into the darkness that was created by your own human nature of your jealousy. And I want to walk with you in it. Because I'm not afraid of your dirt. Not only that, Jesus was born into Rome's oppression. I don't know about you, but things in life make me feel oppressed. Bills make me feel oppressed. The first of every month sucks. Why? Because that's rent. And I got to pay rent. And I think, wow, I got a lot of money until the first comes. And I'm like, oh, I'm broke. There went all my money. Because we can feel this weight of oppression. And imagine having a child and Octavian says, you know what? We're going to do a census. Why? Because we want to raise taxes. I was just getting my tattoo uh, yesterday. It was yesterday. It was yesterday. And I was talking to the guy who, a buddy of mine who tattoos there, and he was telling me about how with the whole tax uh, reform and everything that's been happening, that there's a shift now in small businesses, and taxes for small businesses are going up. And it's a shift and it's a change. And he's having to sit there and read and learn about this, feeling the oppression of a shift and change in the regime. And so this Christmas season... I don't know what you may feel oppressed by. Maybe it's the first Christmas season without a loved one. Something has shifted and changed, and this is your first Christmas season without a loved one nearby. Maybe you lost somebody. Maybe something happened in your family, and you have terrible memories of a childhood this Christmas season that oppresses you. Maybe you've walked through something, and you find yourself alone without anybody else around you, and you're wondering, God, where, where are you? Where is anybody else feeling the oppression of that? Just as Joseph and Mary felt the oppression of Rome. Maybe it's, you got a bad report from the doctor. Maybe it's the first time that you're away from a parent. Maybe, who knows what it is. There's not nearly as much money in the bank account that you want. You're in a dead-end job that you don't like. Frustrated with the semester. Whatever it might be. Jesus understands the oppression you're in. Because he was born into Rome's oppression. Imagine the Jews, they went their entire life being taken over by somebody else. The Jews spent their entire existence basically being oppressed by different groups of people. And now they're oppressed by Rome. And here they find themselves huddled, Joseph and Mary huddled in a stable. Feeling the oppression of Rome. So I can tell you that they understand the feeling of oppression. But Jesus didn't just enter into these darknesses. He also entered into the stables stench. The stables stench. Have you ever been in a barn? This is an interactive question. Have you ever been in a barn? I have. It smells. News flash. It animals defecate everywhere. 
There's not somewhere that they go specially. They don't have pristine toilet bowls. They have wherever they are. I know this because I had a crazy dog that we were fostering. Rest in peace, Oslo. Well, he's not dead. He's still alive. But Oslo, wherever you are, I love you. Uh, Oslo was a crazy cattle and leopard dog that peed and pooped everywhere. Why? Because he was a submissive peer. He just decided to pee every time that he felt like I was mad at him, which then didn't help when I would spank him for peeing. Because then he would pee every, like, peed on me. Why? Because animals have a different understanding of what they do. And so imagine donkeys, imagine sheep, imagine all of these things from that beautiful nativity scene that we see from Hallmark and realize that the stench would have been nearly unbearable. Walking for, you know, riding a donkey for a three-day journey, feeling all of that, hoping to get into an inn, and then finding yourself in a stable, having to give birth amongst manure. That is worse than some third world countries. That is a terrible situation to find yourself in. But I, I truly and honestly believe that it was done for a reason because Jesus is not afraid of your stench. Jesus is not afraid of your stench. He's not afraid of what your life and your situation has brought upon you. Or what you've gone through. Listen to me very carefully. I don't know what you've been through before you walked in these doors. But you can walk in just as you are and I will still love you. Why? Because Jesus still loves you regardless of how you walk in here. And it doesn't matter if you stink or you smell great. It doesn't matter if you have a high paying job or no job. Guess what? Jesus loves you and so do I. And so because of that, Jesus enters into the stable stench to show something and have a moment of symbolism to say, in the midst of the chaos of this world, I am not afraid to get down in the dirt with you. I'm not afraid to be in the midst of the stench with you. It may wear off and I may smell it on me, but I'm willing to be in it with you. I'll tell you what. All is bright's a joke, because it is pretty dark. Maybe if they were lucky, they had a soft glow where they could kind of see. But can you imagine trying to give birth to a child in the midst of darkness? In the midst of of a stench in the midst of all of this stuff, trying to find some moment of peace. And then I imagine the baby came out and probably screamed. But then there's Jesus. In the midst of the darkness, he's a light. In the midst of whatever you're going through, he loves you enough not to leave you alone. In your shame. He loves you enough not to leave you alone in the darkness of your jealousy. He, he loves you enough not to leave you alone in the darkness of your oppression. He loves you enough not to leave you alone in the darkness of your stench. He loves you too much to leave you alone. So silent night. 
All is calm. All is bright. So wherever you've been, whatever you're going through, you guys can come up. I'm here to say one thing to you. That in the midst of your situation, in the midst of of what you find yourself in tonight, because nobody has a perfect Hallmark movie life. I don't. That Jesus is here with you in the middle of your darkness. And he's saying, guess what? You can sit here and say, all is calm, all is bright. Or you can ignore it and say, it's all chaos and darkness. You can say that no matter what happens, no matter who's left me, no matter what somebody has said to me, it is still calm, it is still bright. No matter the darkness that surrounds me, no matter the pain that I may go through tomorrow, it is still calm and it is still bright. And it takes a song written by a man in Austria to a whole nother understanding and level when we look at it as an act of faith proclaiming over our lives that God is still good and the Prince of Peace no matter what. Because all is calm. All is bright. And if you wake up every morning and all you can say to yourself because you're going through something, all you can say to yourself is, guess what? All is calm. All is bright. It may not feel like it. It may not look like it. I may look around at my life and it be full of darkness, but it is still calm and it is still bright. And you may say, I don't have faith. Guess what? Your faith is all it needs is a faith the size of a mustard seed. And a faith the size of a mustard seed is getting up every morning saying it is calm and it is bright. No matter what is going on around me, it is calm and it is bright. Because I can tell you that Jesus is not afraid of your darkness. And he's not scared by your chaos. He is the Prince of Peace. Who loves you too much to leave you alone. All is calm. All is bright. That's this week's word. We're so thankful that you decided to join the gathering today. We are the gathering and we're so grateful for you. Remember, go download the app, Google Play, Apple Store, share it, review it. It makes a huge difference. God bless. And remember, let love echo. Echo.